Hey friends, welcome back to the Heretics Club. I'm your host, Amanda Steed, and this episode is our very last episode for season one, which is a big deal because this project has definitely been a slow burn. And honestly, wrapping up the last episode feels great. It took a lot longer than I thought it would, but I made it and I'm proud of myself for continuing and pushing through at my own pace. Before we jump into this episode, I do want to let you guys know that there are some new things in the work for the Heretics Club. I'll actually be bringing on some new co-hosts, which will allow a broader range of perspectives and also the ability to put out more content. Yes, I will give you more than six episodes in two years in the next season. I'm super excited about what this next season will look like, and I cannot wait to share more details as they develop. This episode, I talked with Lindsay Sutton. Uh, Lindsay and I met through the Facebook group for the Liturgist community, uh, which is now known as LitCom. And this conversation happened about two years ago. Uh, You can learn more about Lindsay by checking out her blog or following her on Instagram, and those details can be found in the show notes. I loved this conversation. Um, I loved it when I originally had it with her. I loved listening back to it. And then I actually followed up with Lindsay to see, is there anything you want me to add or do you want to do an update? And she said, nope, let's just put it out there. So I can't wait for you to hear it. It was full of a really raw, honest reflection and vulnerability. She's the kind of person that you ask her a question and you can tell she's thinking about it. She's processing before she answers you. There are no canned responses. It's just her being real. Lindsay was willing to let us peek into the messiness of her deconstruction process. And listening back to it reminded me of why I love this podcast, why I love these conversations so much. I know that you're really going to enjoy listening as much as I did. Here's my interview with Lindsay. All right, Lindsay, welcome to the Heretics Club. It's so good to have you. Ah, thank you. It's good to be here. This is exciting. Um, can we start off by uh, introducing you? Can you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, where you live, what your life looks like? Absolutely. I am in Atlanta, in the city of Atlanta, right near the zoo, actually. And I have a husband named Caleb and a dog named Mako, and we live happily together, usually. Uh, I did just get back from yoga today, so I do that pretty routinely. For hobbies and interests and fun things, I really enjoy reading and being outdoors, and I'm an amateur forager, which is my fun, cool, interesting. I like to pull out when I'm meeting people for the first time. Um, but besides that, I kind of think I'm pretty normal-ish. <laughs> and what do you, okay, so tell us a little bit more about being a forager. I know I had a friend that moved to Indiana, and they would forage for, I think, mushrooms? and then sell them. So what are you foraging for in Atlanta? Yeah, I first got into foraging from friends who went out to find chanterelle mushrooms, which are orangey, yellowy colored and look kind of like flowers. And I've always loved mushrooms, period. Not the psychedelics, I've not branched out into any of that. Uh, But if, if I could potentially go out and find mushrooms for free 
and they had different tastes and different smells. Oh my goodness, I really wanted to try those. So I got really excited and started rambling around in the woods and didn't find any because they're actually seasonal, just like strawberries or tomatoes. Um, but I did get connected with some of the small farms in the area who said there's a whole lot more to forage for than just mushrooms. You could get greens for your salad or flowers, like the entire part of the violet plant is edible. So I like to dry the, the leaves and the flowers and make that into a tea. And a few other things from my yard, I'll pick into a tea. And then I also do like looking for those chanterelle mushrooms. They're my favorite mushroom that I can forage for. And the season should be coming up soon, actually. I think next month will be, will be a good time for us here in the Southeast. That's awesome. That sounds so adventurous. Like, have you, do you worry that you're going to pick something that's poisonous? That's a common question. And at the <laughs> beginning, I don't think there was that much of a risk. Uh, but if you're going out and looking at any old mushroom, there's, there's a lot of risk for picking something that's maybe not going to kill you, but something that will give you some stomach upset. But the chanterelle mushroom, at least, and a couple others are very, very easy to identify once you know what they look like and what their lookalikes look like. And the chanterelle has one lookalike called the jack-o'-lantern, and they're really easy to distinguish once you know the signs. Like one of them is solid all the way through, and it grows like an individual mushroom cropping up kind of like a daffodil would. And then the other one grows in clumps and is hollow inside or something like that. <laughs> Obviously, I'm an expert, but basically, <laughs> uh, I, I don't worry about it. And could the jack-o'-lantern mushroom make you sick? Yeah, it could. Like that one. one could. But just like an upset stomach, it can kill you. I don't know, but some <laughs> can kill you. Most of them won't kill you. Yeah. Uh, but the, the big rule of thumb, so if anyone is at all interested, when in doubt, throw it out. Unless you're absolutely positive, do not even touch it. So that's how that's wise. Yeah, that's wise. Oh, that's so interesting. I, um, it, it makes me think of that. What was the movie where the guy goes out to like live by himself in isolation and his van and, um, it's based on a book. Oh, you would know if, um, if I was doing a better job of describing it, but and in the end he's, he like prides himself on, he has this like book of edible, um, herbs and foods and berries and all this stuff and uh spoiler alert not that you anyone listening knows the name of this movie but at the end he mistakenly eats these berries that actually end up killing him and it's a based on a true story i think now i don't know how they like knew i think they just based it off like his journals that he kept while he was out there i i'm gonna have to think of the name of it anyway okay rabbit trail so let's dive into uh Let's dive into this conversation. Let's start out by uh, hearing about the faith tradition that you grew up in. Sure thing. Yes. Um, I grew up Christian all my life. I cannot remember a time when I didn't love Jesus and when I didn't care about right and wrong and where I wasn't going to church. My parents became, sorry about the, the dog in the back, if you can hear him, but he loves Jesus too. <laughs> He's just testifying right now. Absolutely. Um, my parents actually became Christians when they had me because they wanted their daughter to grow up in a Christian environment or at least in a church environment for the positivity and safety and what have you. Uh, and so my 
parents converted shortly after I was born. And we were raised in a Baptist tradition, but that didn't really mean anything to me until fourth grade. We moved to Georgia in 1998 and started going to an independent Baptist church-run school, which was very small and tight-knit. Um, and I thought that that's what Christianity looked like, but it wasn't until going into other environments that I realized, no, this particular area was pretty unique. And it was unique in that it was more, I guess, pretty fundamentalist, meaning they had, or they believed they had the only truth, the one truth, uh, which involved the Bible being inerrant and the Bible should be taken literally. Uh, there was a lot of patriarchal themes that would come up in my schooling. It kind of just went in one year and out the other and little parts of it would stick, but I didn't realize anything was wrong with it or I didn't see anything as sexist. Uh, and then the racism too, it kind of just blew past me I'm white, we had mostly white people in my school, and even my community was pretty darn white. So <clears throat> it was, it was a, a little bit of a privilege not having to worry about that, but um, it also meant that I grew up thinking that this was normal. And uh, like me not getting to go to prom with my black friend apparently was normal. Uh, it's not, and yeah. I'm glad that I know that now. Um, but having the, other piece, the piece where religion was a class and not just a way of life, but that's what this entire school was about, that ended up being very, very impactful. Uh, my religion wasn't just something that I believed that I did on Sunday. I was in church three times a week, and then through, through school, I was in chapel one time a week, and through school, I had Bible class five times a week, and of course, I prayed every day and did my devotions where I'd be reading my Bible on my own every day. Uh, and looking back now, I can see that my faith wasn't all that personal, like some would have it be as an adult, but my faith was something that had to be written out in essay form. It, it had to have all the right answers in my multiple choice Bible tests. Uh, I had to memorize so much information and spit it back out correctly. And that meant you knew the Bible. That meant you were a good Christian, I think. And having the, the certainty and the knowledge was very, very important. And I did pride myself on knowing all this stuff. I was really good at school, uh, pretty much a straight A student, salutatorian out of my 10 person graduating class, which is not very much, um, but I knew a lot. And I decided to continue my education uh, at another Christian school, Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee, which is similar. I, I had my Christian classes. I had to go to chapel three times a week. I was required to go to church. And then I had my own personal, private relationship with God as well. Um, okay, so we had to pause for a second for some technical adjustments. But you were saying that you then went from your very um, fundamentalist uh, church or not church, but like a religious school, and you moved mm -hmm. to go to college at Bryan College, which that's where Rachel Held Evans went, correct? And where her dad? Yes, at? yes, yes. Uh, I got to meet her dad. I did not get to meet Rachel at any point. Uh, at the time when I was there, I thought she was a heretic. So I was not, <laughs> very, I was not yeah. very interested in her work. Um, but I've, I've since read Inspired and uh, followed her on Twitter and saw that she gave so much 
breadth and, and space for, for people similar to us. Um, so it's really neat to have her as part of that legacy and to see how she was able to expand her views and still hold space for Christianity and find a new path. And even though I never felt very close to her, it's, it's, it's I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm walking in those same footsteps a bit. Yeah, I totally can see that. And I totally relate to that. Re reading, uh, searching for Sunday or reading back when it was still like growing up in monkey town um, or evolving in monkey town or whatever the original title of that book was. That was like life changing for me. because I was like, whoa, I'm not the only person that has questions. Like yeah. a lot of us have the questions. We're just not saying them out loud because we don't want to offend or so. Okay. You go to Bryan college and do you, do you love your experience there? Cause it sounds like it was kind of like right in line with how you grew up. Um, and I did love it. Mm -hmm. it. When I look back at my uh, testimony, meaning like my whole Christian journey, uh, being at Bryan college was one of the high points for me. I learned so much. I saw so many different things about the Bible or about God that I hadn't seen before. Um, I had really great professors who cared about me. I had wonderful friends who were in the thick of it and we were doing life together and keeping each other accountable and all of that good, normal Christian stuff. But it, I really thrived there. And I found some good, beautiful changes in my relationship with God. In the past, my relationship had been very formulaic and I wanted to get everything right and do the steps and how many minutes do I need to pray? What things do I need to knock off? So my faith was a checklist in my personal life. And here at college, I was seeing that uh, God's will kind of looked like us making decisions and just not stepping outside of what was right and good. So if I decided to have a hamburger or a hot dog, it didn't really matter. And as, as odd as it sounds, that was a little life-changing for me. Um, but I did have all these great answers. I was a super awesome Christian kid and I stayed that way for a very long time. I didn't have any kind of cracks until after college, the fall of 2010. This is the first sliver of maybe this isn't what's going on, but the thing is it, it actually resolved really quickly. So it didn't start my deconstruction journey. It was just a really interesting test of my faith. And what had happened was I finished up a movie, watching it by myself. I was watching The Terminal, which is very emotional anyway, and it has no connection to the story. But when I got back to my bedroom around 11 p.m., I had this huge weight on me and, and went into this very depressive state where I was questioning my value and I didn't think anyone liked me or loved me. And all these friends I had at college were not real and not deep. And it, it's kind of bizarre to explain. <clears throat> at the time, I probably would have described it as spiritual darkness or a spiritual attack because I didn't know what, what else it could have been. Uh, mm -hmm. But I knew, okay, what do I, what do I do when I'm feeling low? I go to God, I go to the Bible. And so I did those things and I opened up the scripture and the first verse I found was the one about women being quiet in church. Which oh, no. I always hated, <laughs> but really did not do anything for me in that moment. So instead I, I went to prayer and I thought about calling someone, but it was so late. So all I had was prayer. All I had was the Holy Spirit in my mind. And I asked God 
to come and help me and to bring me comfort and to bring me out of this. And it wasn't working. Nothing was changing. My, my soul just kept going lower and lower into a darker place where nothing seemed to make sense. And I was so surprised because I'd been told so many times and I believed that if you went to God with all these terrible things, he would help you. And he, he wasn't doing that. Mm. Um, so I, I never had an experience like this before where the answers didn't work. And I thought I would be an atheist if this didn't, if he didn't fix me, I guess is how I would have described it. And, and I wasn't fixed. So that was a really big, uh, reckoning moment and uh, everything felt weird and and I had to take a big step back and see is this even real um and I wish that I could say that there was some miraculous moment where things got better or a miraculous moment where I stepped away and my whole perspective changed but coming back to normal life was a very gradual process after that maybe a few months later, I just realized or I accepted or I believed, well, Lindsay, you were depending on your emotions and really God is stable no matter what. So this episode doesn't really matter. Somehow I, I reconciled it like that and things went on back to normal. And, and before then, had you had moments where you'd had like that, um, that same kind of feeling or experience where you had prayed or you had done the like whole open the Bible and point to scripture and like, Oh, it's like the perfect verse. And now I feel better. Had you had experiences in the past that had shown you like, this is the formula for like how to deal with situations like that. Or was that the first time, how old were you when that happened in 2010? You would have been how old? Uh, I think I was 21 years old. So so was that, I'm just trying to get kind of like some context around that. Was that like the first time where you had felt this like dark? Um, For me, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I had hard times. Uh, my, my church had split, which was really upsetting. Um, I had asked God for guidance on which college to go to and God never gave me an answer. And that was a little upsetting. Uh, there was a time in middle school where I was really afraid that, I wasn't saved, that I wasn't a real Christian, um, that maybe I had done everything I should have, but God just decided no. But my mom helped me through that and said, Lindsay, you're saved by faith. So if you have faith, like your, your side is done. God's taking care of everything. So nothing else had been this, this big, this deep and this scary. So it really was my first big reckoning moment. Wow. Yeah. Those surprisingly, are, um... it didn't change. It didn't change me that much. <laughs> Well, I think like it's a, that's something that uh, Kyle and I, my husband and I have been talking about in the last few weeks is how people that are, do grow up in such fundamentalist, like black and white, right and wrong. And you're taught about the slippery slope. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you, even your brain on an unconscious or subconscious level knows, like if we, if we stop believing this one thing, like everything else is going to start tumbling down. So it's like a protective factor that our brains have built in of like, Nope, yeah, that's, that's okay. This is like, we can explain away this, uh, situation. So, okay. So tell me what it was like. Do you have siblings? Do you have brothers or sisters? 
I have one younger sister. She's four and a half years younger than me. And she grew up in the same school, actually went to the same college too. So tell me what it was like. Uh, I got a really good picture of kind of like your, your life at school and at church and, and that, but tell me what it was like at home. Um, was what was taught at church just kind of like repeated at home? Did you have any kind of understanding of like um, where your parents were and if it was different at all from where the church was or like, what was your experience like? Yeah. I mean, I had the opportunity to speak to this because my family was a very good space for me. Um, When I look back at where I got most of my indoctrination from, pretty much all of it comes from church and maybe youth group, maybe Sunday school. But my parents were not like my, my mom was strict, but besides that, there wasn't like Bible beating or were like forcing us to look at how women are less or anything like that was never, ever, ever a question. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents were on equal standing. My mom was a working mom, my, and she had a little bit of higher education. I'm sorry, she had her master's and my dad hadn't even gone to college. Uh, so I felt like they were both very strong people and good examples for how to live well, how to parent well, uh, and how to be good Christians too. My dad and I really liked to talk about the sermons after we'd come home on Sundays, and we'd get into little debates and just being in a place where we could talk and discuss without fear of being reprimanded or fear of questioning looking back now and just describing this even now like i'm realizing that was a really safe good spot mm-hmm. so i i do treasure that a lot that's awesome um and i'm curious like you said your parents became christians because they they got pregnant and they were like oh we need to have some kind of like religious upbringing for these kids um what do you know what their background was and kind of where they were coming from? And if they're, because that's, I've, I don't know if I've talked to anyone that has made that decision um, mm-hmm. and then chosen such a fun, like such a fundamentalist, like a uh, place to start. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So my parents knew about church. I'm sure that I know that they had each gone to church a couple times with their parents. I think my dad's mom went to church a few times, uh, but they, they met in a bar, they met in the military. And I think that when they wanted to start their family, uh, they were also, they had also moved to a new state. They were kind of starting fresh. Uh, and for the record, from my infancy all the way to my fourth grade, the churches we went to weren't fundamentalist from what I understand. It was more non-denominational. Um, I think that we did go to a Baptist church when we lived in Puerto Rico for three years for a little bit, first through third grade, but there weren't tons and tons of English speaking churches in the area. So it was kind of non-denominational as well and just pulled a lot of people who were Christian and that's all you needed for a label. And then. Mm-hmm. When we did move to Georgia in 98, uh, the reason why we picked, I think the reason why they picked that school was one, to have a Christian school. And then two, my mom was able to teach there. Uh, And yeah, I'm also really, really pleased with how after I left, after I graduated, I think the very next year, my mother left and took my sister out of that school. 
um, there had been a lot of shady stuff going on with the, um, with the pastor and how he was controlling the whole school. So it wasn't that great all along anyway. I just picked up a lot of the teaching. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. So Tim, tell me, um, you had that little moment in 2010, but you were able to kind of patch it up and, and get past it. So tell me when things like stopped working for you or when things kind of started falling apart. Yeah, this was in the April of 2017. So two years ago. Uh, and what you were talking about with you and your husband saying the slippery slope is really dangerous. So don't go even, don't go close. <laughs> um, I was kind of kicked off the slope all of a sudden. And the, the story is kind of funny because one day this guy who told me he was an atheist reached out to me from my blog and said, Hey, you're a Christian. I used to be a Catholic. I'm an atheist now. You said you're interested in talking. How about we talk? How about we talk about finding the truth? And I'm like, oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm totally going to convert this guy. <laughs> I, would, this I would love to have that conversation. Yes. <laughs> let me save you. Yeah. So let me save you for sure. We emailed back and forth quite a few times. Uh, and there was one time where I even said, I will pray for you. And he was like, yeah, that's stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> but basically he was saying like, when people say that to me, it's, it's pretty condescending. So I don't appreciate it. And I was, I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, that makes sense. But also, wow, this guy needs some prayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, we had our first Skype conversation on a Saturday and he, he talked about uh, a lot of theodicy questions, like, is God really good? If God is mentioned in the Old Testament as decreeing genocide, how can you reconcile that and say, God is love? That's, that's BS. And I had all the great Christian answers for him. I'd actually heard a little bit about how, well, maybe people wrote it that way in the Bible because uh, it was a, a military thing and they wanted to show their God was super powerful. So that's how they wrote it. Maybe God didn't really decree, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I felt very confident signing off of that Skype conversation. And then the very next day in church, we were singing the song about God holding the rain back and making it snow. And I had this thought, whoa, that, that's not God we're singing about. That's the weather. And I had <laughs> never, never had a thought like that before. And it's such an innocuous thing, but it really blasted open my entire religion all of a sudden, very, very quickly. Not like I crumbled right there in church, but throughout the week and throughout the next week, I started to think, wait a second, is this really true? I don't know if it is because mm. it's all taken on faith. It's all based on belief and I don't have anything to point to, like anything tangible. Um, and, and so slowly and well, no, not slowly, very quickly, everything started to unravel to the very bedrock of my, of my religion. Um, was Jesus even real? If he was, did he actually die? Like if he did, did he really raise from the dead? And is there an active God in us and around all of us all the time? Uh, that coming into shambles was, I think, the most terrifying thing I've ever had to go through. And the worst day was when I had to think that maybe the afterlife wasn't real. Maybe I would not see my husband and my family in heaven again after death. That was the most terrifying thing. And I was wailing, absolutely wailing and weeping in bed 
in my husband's arms and bless his heart. Mm. He's, he, he's like, oh, no, <laughs> just believe it's fine. <laughs> of course there's a heaven. Um, so he really didn't know what to do. And I didn't either, but it was really scary for me and really scary, I think for him too. So what, tell me what the, did you share that you shared it with your husband that you were having these doubts? Did you share it with other people around you? A few. Um, I, I was really, really lucky to have a friend at work. We shared an office and it was just the two of us actually. So we had a lot of, our, a lot of opportunity for private conversations and he was familiar with the liturgists and with Rachel Hall Emmons and with all these people who were in the deconstructed faith space making resources for people like us. And he'd been talking about some of his journey and how, yeah, he's not sure if there's a hell. And I was like, whoa, Tim, you might be going off the deep end, but you're honest. <laughs> like, we're going to work with that. that. That's cool. You're fine. Uh, but having him there as someone to fall back on immediately was so helpful. I felt not alone. Uh, and then I also had a small group with uh, this girl named Claire, who we've been together for like three years, I think. I told her, and then shortly afterward, uh, two more girls joined our group, and I told them too. I was really nervous about it because they're younger, like they were still at college, and they're kind of like the impressionable, vibrant Christian girls. And I didn't want to lead them astray or anything, <laughs> but yeah, they. Everyone in that group was so supportive and encouraging. And one, they didn't judge me, which was amazing. And I wish that was not the normal. But two, they asked me really good questions. And three, they pushed me to find what answers I could. And, and my husband, Caleb, did that too. They would say, if you're afraid about this, or if you don't know, how can you find out something that'll make you feel more comfortable? How can you find something of an answer? And well, Caleb expected me to find all the answers again and all the right answers again. He was very, uh, he, he was pushing a lot of apologetics on me, which uh, proves the existence of God and proves the Bible and proves Jesus and yada yada. But I'd already grown up in a lot of that. So I knew it wasn't going to answer my question. So I had to yeah. find different answers or different ways to feel comfortable. And did you continue to go to church through this, this time? Like, did you continue to attend church? I did. It, it wasn't terribly frequent, but I was playing violin in the band at this time. And I really appreciated the opportunity to be on stage playing my violin instead of singing the songs. Because at the time, the lyrics did not, they did not sit with me. They did not feel right. Um, and I didn't feel authentic. I didn't feel honest singing. So if I could play, that felt better and I could still be in the group and still be in the tribe. And I think even, well, I'm not sure if it gave much more benefit to me than that, but it was good to still be there and to still be, I guess, a part of the family. And what was it like as you're having all these resources being thrown at you? Um, tell me what it was like to dig into some of those and to kind of navigate the questions that you were having or the, to read opposing views from what you had been handed? Yeah, my starting point for those things were uh, the, the Liturgist's podcast and Science Mike's book, 
finding God in the waves. Uh, and I've found a whole lot more since then, which has been a lot of fun. But Michael Gunger and Science Mike talking about their deconstruction and how they were such strong, great Christians and then had nothing. And then they came back and found something different. That was such a huge encouragement because I didn't think I could ever go back to the way I was. I would have to forge a new path. It would have to look different for me. And having them give an example made me feel way safer. It made me feel not as afraid. And it made me feel not alone because I had felt so alone. Uh, like, like we were saying, certainty is so important and the slippery slope is so important. And you never, never, never hear stories like these in the church where everyone's good and normal and no one really talks about it. So growing up and believing once saved, always saved, if you're a Christian and you, you can never not be a Christian, um, I knew that people would think, wow, Lindsay, if you're dealing with this, maybe you were never a Christian in the first place. And I, I was worried about that too. So seeing that things could change and still be good and still be fulfilling and, and you could even still have a relationship with God, even though you didn't believe the Bible was an errand or something. That was really refreshing and yeah, I just felt like a full glass of water. Um, and I know you were asking about some of the other resources, but uh, could, could you remind me what else we're going into next? <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll cover those towards the the end. Those are kind of like the the quick fire questions at the end of the conversation. But um, the last part of this is just to tell me kind of where you evolved to and where you're at now. Yeah. Huh. My husband asks me this a lot, and my mother-in-law. <laughs> um, feelings. I'll start with feelings. I feel great. I feel like my relationship with God is fulfilling and life-giving and beautiful. And I found new lenses to add on top of my view of God that, that make me more drawn to God and, and more drawn to grace and to beauty and to non-judgment. And that has been such a, such a blessing, truly. It's been so great to find that, wow, God looks different, but it's, it's actually better than before. That's been very, very sweet. Um, I also, on the theology side, I don't think there's a hell. I hope there's an afterlife. And that's pretty much all I can stake a, like, stake a, a flag into. Uh, I'd like to imagine and hope that there's definitely heaven and that we all end up there together. And I actually find a lot of scriptural basis for that. So that's what I lean toward. But it, it's a lot of uncertainty there. So I have more uncertainties than knowns and I am okay with that, which is also really cool. Uh, but beyond God being love, I'm at least hoping and living and acting like Jesus exists and raised, did get raised from the dead. Uh, a lot of these things I'm kind of just, I'm pretty sure this is how it is. Not exactly sure, but we're going with it. And that's been a really good space for me, surprisingly, even without that certainty. Uh, and there are a few other theological points that I'm actually really thankful I've changed my view on. Uh, this is more doctrine than theology, but I'm absolute on women being in church leadership and speaking and teaching and shepherding, uh, not just from scriptural basis, but from how I see um, our, our society has moved forward and how we have been elevating women throughout the ages. 
And of course, Christians should be on the forefront of that because Jesus was all about elevating the downtrodden too. Uh, yeah, that, that's my favorite one. <laughs> that's awesome. And so are you, I know you, you briefly mentioned in your um, questionnaire beforehand that your husband has, has not deconstructed and is still um, mm-hmm. like solid in the faith that you guys were in before. So what is that, what does that dynamic look like and speak as openly or as privately as you'd like to about that? But just, I know that there are a lot of people out there who are going through this process in a relationship with someone that is not on the same page. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that and, and how that relationship has changed. And um, anyway, I'll, I'll just let you talk yeah, about it. it, it mm-hmm. It has been very, very difficult. And I want to start by saying it's been very, very difficult for him too. Um, When we got married, we referenced a lot of biblical themes of love in our vows. And now that my faith looks different, he has at times said, well, Lindsay, you know you're not a Christian now if you believe that. And he, he now thinks that I am a Christian, but only by the grace of God. Uh, and he emphasizes that last part, which hurts, but um, he definitely sees me not as the same. And so when I talk about, when we're in a fight and I say our marriage is important or trust is important or uh, like, like being together is important, he will, he has at, at times like challenged me, like, but Lindsay, you believe different things from me. You can't say that we're on the same page here anymore. Um, and for him too, uh, I don't think he would be upset if I share this. He is more private than me, but this is like just such a, such an honest, raw moment that I want people to understand for him. It has felt like a divorce just because I have, he's seen me take so many steps away from him and from his faith. And that's how he's interpreted it and held it. Uh, and it, it breaks my heart because I'm still here. I'm still committed. And love and marriage are very important to me. Like I'm getting emotional talking to you right now because this is, this really is the most important relationship in my life. Yeah. Um, but on my side, I, I never an, a, anticipated stepping away from him. It was always a very deeply private, personal thing with me and God and my understanding. And unfortunately, it just so happens to deeply impact my marriage and my relationship with Caleb. Um, And we've had tons and tons of fights about theology and about doctrine. And I'm smiling now because I'm appreciating how intellectual we both are and how passionate and stubborn we both are. Um, He's a five on the Enneagram and I am a four on the Enneagram. So he cares a ton about knowledge and information and having the right answer. And I'm, I also like those things a ton, but uh, the feeling has to be there too, I think. And if I don't really believe it, I'm not going to say I do. So the authenticity is what keeps me from going full force back into what he would like for me. What? Sorry, drop my phone. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> We're good. That's what keeps me from going back to what he would like for me to be. Um, our equilibrium looks like not talking about it very much. And that's going to be kind of tricky because uh, I happen to be pregnant with twins. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to have kids soon. And I know they don't speak 
full English for a while. Um, (laughs) But at this time, like we're going, we will likely have something of an interfaith parenting relationship. And I'm nervous about what that's going to look like. And I'm nervous about when grandparents will start influencing as well. Uh, Because I I have some very firm beliefs about original blessing versus original sin, where I think like we're all good. uh, We're all image bearers of God and inherently good. And we screw up. And that's what people would call sin. But if we focus on sin as who you are, like the original sin theology does, Mm -hmm. I don't think that gives you a really good place to move from. Uh, So that's one of the big places where Caleb and I differ. And that's really important. And then the other big one for him is he's a, he believes the Bible to be inerrant or everything is factional and everything is absolutely literally true. And I think I'm more of an infallible Bible person, uh, definitely inspired, but I think, I think more infallible. Um, so yeah, having those differences is really hard. And it's been devastating to him and to me. Um, it's been really, really hard feeling like I'm not accepted and feeling like I'm judged. And most of his relationship to me in this has been one of judgment and expectation. Like, Lindsay, figure this out. Get it right again. Get back to where you need to be. And I can't do that the way he wants me to. And it's just that. Um, one good thing is I've learned a whole lot more about uh, not basing my value and my worth on what people think about me and it's helped me take extra steps away from being codependent on his opinion of me or his acceptance of me. And yeah, totally. I, I've seen us like come closer in certain areas where the faith isn't the bedrock of our relationship. And, and it is fine if that is, but we still have something valuable and good and seriously strong, even beneath the faith that has kept us together in all of this utter crap. And I don't think we could have found that if I hadn't gone through this shift. So, so that is a valuable diamond that's been found in the crucible and fire of this whole, this whole thing. So there is some good there. Yeah. And I think it's really, um, I mean, I can hear, uh, in the, the way you talk about it and even in the tone of your voice that it has been really hard but I also think it's really beautiful that um, you guys have been able to maintain a loving relationship and that even as hard as it's felt for him, he's holding the space for you to be where you're at as much as he would wish that you were somewhere different. Um, I think that's something I really, uh, I, I think I, I started questioning things about Christianity um, a little bit earlier than, than Kyle. And so as I, I'm re- I'm really glad it happened in that order because I feel like, so I'm an eight on the Enneagram and my husband is a one. And so he wasn't going to push on me about what I believed um, cause I think he knew that that would just, you know, cause me to push back, mm-hmm. but it also allowed me to experience it before he did so that I can say, Oh, I, Kyle is not mine. Kyle is God's like, and fully surrender my husband and my children for that matter to God. 
and, and mm-hmm. trust um, that they are on their own path and that I am with them in that journey, but not feel this pressure to like save them or um, lead them back to the true one true way. You know, there's just like this freedom in trusting that everyone is, everyone is on their own path. And I have to trust that God is bigger than everything. Right. So, um, but that it can be really hard. Yeah. I really hear what you said a lot too. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying about like, um, you would have to fake it at this point. It's almost like the veil has been pulled off and, you see all of the, everything that's on the other side of the veil and to put up like a new curtain would just be, you know, it would be hard for me and in your foreness, it would be really hard because you're just like, no, that's not authentic. Like I want to be the most authentic that I can be. So, um, thank you so much for sharing that. I think you probably just, uh, gave people, a lot of even if it's just solidarity and like validation that this is a very difficult thing to go through when you're in a relationship when you're in a marriage and not both people are on the same page my my heart does go out to people who are in the harder situations um i know of marriages that are crumbling under the burden and the weight of this kind of shift and i do feel very lucky that caleb loves me so much Um, but I think we had to make our own choices individually and mutually. And while we never really discussed out loud very often, maybe little bits here and there, like, no, we're we're not going to divorce. We're going to stick this out. Um, I think that this is the kind of thing that brings those questions up and it's, it's scary. Uh, But we're, we're here and people can still be here if this is what they want. And I, I would encourage people to think and believe that, you know, your destiny is in your own hands. And just because something like this does come up does not mean that you're doomed at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so the last little piece I want to touch on and where you're at now is like, are you, um, did you continue to attend a church? Are you kind of letting Caleb go on Sundays and do his own thing and you stay and, and do something different? Like, how, what does that look like in your life now? Interestingly, we're both not going to church very often. He serves on one of the teams to help get the church set up. Um, And he very, very interestingly is thinking about moving away from our church. Um, Our church tends to be, I I absolutely love it. It, It's very socially progressive and politically liberal and works really hard to hold a space for a multi-ethnic and multicultural congregation. And they work hard to make sure that everyone on stage represents all these different groups. So our congregation in Atlanta is one of the very few that looks like Atlanta instead of oh, just, that's the awesome. part or just the black part yeah, or just the Korean part. So I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of that movement. And that's one of the reasons why I still love being a part of this church. It's called Renovation Church in Meets Downtown. It is awesome. Um, and Caleb is politically more conservative. So he's been looking at maybe looking at elsewhere. Um, but he's also making a shift towards exploring Orthodox Christianity. And so am I. 
but for both very different reasons. Yeah, so, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, he really appreciates the tradition. I really appreciate the um, open-handedness and mystery that they allow for God. Uh, and we have really good friends in the Orthodox Church nearby. So we may start doing that at some point. But in the meantime, I don't go to church very often. Sometimes I'll go with Kayla. Sometimes I'll go with my friends. It's not like I'm actively avoiding it. I just really like my Sunday mornings now. <laughs> it's really cool having a two-day weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, then, it's really... Um... We took a little bit of a break at the beginning of the year at first because my kids would not stop getting sick. And then just because I was like, oh my gosh, like Sunday, Sundays are sacred. There's a reason why it's Sabbath. And like there's, so yeah, I totally relate to that. Like having two days to rejuvenate after doing the Monday through Friday hustle is like after you've been going to church for a long time, it really does feel like, oh, I just have Saturday if I don't have plans on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I loved going to church for the community, for, for the teaching, and I think maybe for the worship. And I get those elsewhere now, too. Like, I still meet with my small group girls. I read a ton about, about God, about different theologies. Uh, so we've got our community. We've got our teaching, too. Awesome. Okay, so now we're going to jump into the just, like, little – questions at the very end. So I saw on your blog, you have an amazing list of resources. Mm, so thank you. if you want, you can just tell people then like where they can find your blog and then they can find these resources. Cause this is like, uh, you have movies, podcasts, books, songs, and then different sections for like LGBTQ plus and faith, the feminine character of God and women in the church resources. Like this is, you didn't have Enneagram resources on there. You're like, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's like an amazing collection. Uh, yeah, that's my uh, three wing showing out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have been blogging for a while, but I'm going to do it. I think I can go ahead and make like a town near the top for faith resources or faith deconstruction resources because now I want people to be able to find that a little easier. Um, but my blog is my first and middle name, but they're both spelled a little different. So Lindsay Aaron, but it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-E-R-Y-N dot blogspot.com. Still on blogspot, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but if you look up or search for faith or deconstruction, you'll be able to find that list, that blog post list down there. And I can, I'll put it in the podcast description um, as well. So people can click over to it because it really is a great list of uh, some of the things I hadn't heard of, and I'm excited to uh, yeah. check out. <laughs> I, I update it to every once in a while. And are there any resources that you found that aren't on this list that you would recommend? I know you've already mentioned the, the Liturgist podcast um, mm -hmm. and Mike Science Mike's book, Finding God mm -hmm. in the Waves. Yeah. Is there anything in addition that you would recommend to someone just kind of like that's fresh out of the gate? Um, has that moment that you had on a Sunday morning in church? Mm -hmm. um, first, I would say whatever you can do, try and find a real life human to talk to. <laughs> that, that seems to be the most refreshing and life-giving thing people can do. And I'm, I'm so honored to have been that for a, an acquaintance recently. Um, but for things that you can do on your own, I highly recommend checking out some of Richard Rohr's work. 
he has quite a few books and he's got uh, meditations and uh, an email list. And I think that if you're still trying to hold the tension of new uncertainty, scary, I don't know, with maybe God still exists, he's a really good person to help build some bridges between those two spaces. I really like his book, uh, The Divine Dance. That really transformed my view on God to be more Trinitarian. And it helped pull in a lot of things that I wanted to be true about God, but didn't have the language for. So that was really special. And then there's a podcast I've been listening to on and off. I kind of pick and choose episodes of this. It's called You Have Permission. And this oh. guy is, yeah, he's pretty darn smart. And he'll go into things like, you have permission to um, hold all the different views of God together, all the ones that are talked about in the Gospels. Or you have permission to seek Jesus through Buddhism or consider evolution. Uh, there was one recently with, hold up, I really, really liked, really liked it. It was interviewing the author of a new book called A Flexible Faith. Her name is Bonnie Christian. And I, it's a recent, recent episode, so sometime around May or April 2019. But hers was really, really beautiful, talking about biblical inerrancy versus infallibility versus inspired. And I know that these things are all really heady and pretty intellectual for, for uh, yeah, just for anyone. But that's where I've been lately, so that's been where I've found a lot of life and excitement, just exploring new thoughts and ideas. Awesome. Okay, so that's an amazing list of resources. I really can't wait to check that podcast out. Um, and you also have the Bible for Normal People on your list, which mm-hmm. I can't believe no one told me about sooner. They've been doing it for a couple oh. of years. And it's like one of my most favorite podcasts that I've they listened to in this process. Yeah. Um, okay, so what is, you've already kind of covered this, but I'm going to let you pick one. Uh, what's one belief that you now hold that would have you labeled as a heretic in the faith tradition that you were raised in? Yeah, God loves everyone, period, and will not send anyone to hell. There we go. Done. Okay. And then if you could do anything in the world and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Oh, this isn't like- This does not have to be related to faith. This is just like anything, anything in the world that you want to do. My husband and I are really big foodies, so if it could be a culinary trip with him around East Asia, or if I had to pick, if I could just go to Jiro's sushi shop (laughs) um, and have the best sushi in the world, uh, we absolutely love that region, and we love all the food from that region, so going there and not having to worry about money would be a huge treat. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have to worry about money, you could do a culinary tour around the world. There we go. Absolutely yeah. better. <laughs> like eat all the best food. All right. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time and having this conversation. I'm really excited for people to hear uh, your story and uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. It was an honor to tell and if I'd be happy to talk with anyone going through anything else too. This is hard, but good stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you so much to Lindsay for being my guest, being the last guest of this season. If you'd like to connect with her, again, you can do that by checking out links in the show notes. The resources that she recommended will be there as well. 
You can also head over and follow the Heretics Club on Instagram and Lindsay will be featured there and tagged if you want to connect with her in that way and then link to her blog through Instagram. Guys, thank you so much for being on this journey with me. And if you've been hanging out for two years and patiently awaiting every new episode that we've done, I can't thank you enough for your patience, um, for your encouragement, and just for showing up and listening to these conversations. I am so excited to get back to having these conversations and start season two. And I will give you guys updates as soon as I have them. A huge thanks again to Loud Harp for letting me use their beautiful music. You can find them at Loud Harp on Instagram or search on Spotify or the iTunes store. Loud Harp for their music. Uh, they are amazing guys who wrote amazing music that really helped me during my time of deconstruction. Thanks so much again for listening and we'll see you in season two. Take care of each other.